Sego, and welcome to Resistance Radio. I'm John Kane. I am your host, and joining me is Regan DeLoggins. We've got a we've got a good show lined up for you today. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of catch up. Um, and of course, I, I have to begin this show as I begin all of our shows by reminding people we are listener-supported radio. WBAI and WPFW both depend on listener sponsorship. So I ask if you are listening in Washington D.C. to go to two zero two. 588-9739 and make a contribution of any size. You can also go online. You can go to WPFWFM.org and make a donation. You can do a one-time donation. You can become a sustaining member by giving um, your, your credit card information or whatever and uh, and make a monthly donation. It could be small because it adds up and it all helps us, as they say, keep the lights on and keep the microphones uh, listening to us. Uh, if you are in New York and you're listening to us on WBAI, I ask that you go to that phone line, and that is 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. Or go online to give2wbai.org. That's G-I-V-E, the number 2wbai.org, and make a donation um, by following those prompts. And, and again, same thing, uh, one-time donation, a time donation. Give when you can, as often as you can, as much as you can, and support these great radio stations that are providing uh, just diverse radio uh, voices you aren't going to hear anyplace else, including voices like mine and Regan's. Uh, we we can't express how appreciative we are of uh, for the space that we are given to offer a native perspective on issues that that impact us all. Uh, some that impact us as indigenous people more than others, but uh, many of the things we talk about are issues that impact us all. So um, I do ask that you uh, go to your pledge line and look if you're not listening on the radio if you're listening online then make your choice you can you can give to either one of the stations but uh, but it is important that you give to the stations and do it in the name of resistance radio um well first off regan are do we have you with us just yet not yet Okay, all right. Well, uh, I am anticipating uh regan will be joining us but let me take a, a few minutes here this show does get posted as a podcast. Um, you know, of course, you can listen into the archives on WPFW and WBAI, but I also post it as a Resistance Radio with John and Regan podcast. I also produce a another podcast called Let's Talk Native, and I encourage you if you if you listen to this program to subscribe or, or at least do a search. Even if you're going to just listen to a few one-off shows here and there, listen to my Let's Talk Native podcast. I've got a great show coming up. I've got um, somebody a little bit familiar to this show and to uh, and to, to this audience. I've got uh, Dina Giulio Whitaker joining me, and uh, Dina, if you for those of you who recall a co-wrote uh, All the Real Indians Died Off and 20 Other Myths About Native Americans with Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, and I've had them both on the program. Um, Dina also has, has recently produced or, or published a book called As Long as Grass Grows, and uh, and it's a book that's more about um, environmental justice, environmental racism, and, and some of that. But neither of those things are, are, are what I plan to have her join me to talk about. I, I have Dina joining me to talk about this push that's coming from a bunch of these schools that have native mascots who believe if they add native curriculum some sort of native history curriculum to their or, or history to their curriculum that they will can justify somehow this exploitation and appropriation of native imagery and uh, and of course they can't uh but we're, we're going to address that so as we, that that podcast isn't posted yet but i do encourage you if you if you are the type that listen to podcasts um do check out let's talk native with john kane uh and of course like i said resistance radio with john and regan is also posted up as a podcast and you can you can go back and find the you know the past shows it's very easy as a, as a podcast because they're all just listed right there in order so um if you've missed show uh if you see a topic that uh, interests you then uh, then by all means check it out and and look we'd love to hear from you um all right so uh, reggie you let me know when when regan joins uh, joins I us will. okay um did, did you uh, catch get uh, catch up with zul yet waiting okay waiting waiting to do it or waiting is no, he waiting on standing me? by sir 
okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So um, let me introduce my next guest. And uh, some of you may be familiar with him. Uh, Zool is joining me today. Uh, and that's uh, uh, Zool is, is what he goes by. It's uh, uh, Zulkowitz, uh, I guess is the way you, uh, you pronounce your last name. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and Zool and others, and I'm going to let him describe who is involved in this whole thing, um, are planning, I'm involved, <laughs> are planning an event on September 19th called Rising Together for a World Beyond War. And so I've got Zool joining me to talk about just that. So, so Zool, thanks for joining me here on Resistance Radio. Thank you so much, John and Reggie and Good afternoon to the BAI buddies and all the audience out there. Please go to give to WBAI. Keep these mics alive. Um, so um, folks from years ago may know me as Paul Zulka, if I go by the name Zool. And I'm working on a project called Rising Together. You can go to risingtogether.info for the latest um, information on our website. Um, we organized starting um, last winter with uh, Ralph Pointer of the Jericho Project, the Lynn Stewart Organization. People may know him as Lynn's widower, wonderful man, uh, along with Kathy Kelly, the uh, activist, peace activist and author from Chicago, nominated many times for the Nobel Peace Prize, and Nick Martin, uh, um, a veteran member of Veterans for Peace and the founder of ban killer drones ever so much more important all the time and we have folks from around the country and the world um, working for a few things first started as a a one-time event sunday september 19th it will be sunday september 19th in thomas Paine park which is foley square in new york city that's where the courthouses are the four five of the six trains to brooklyn bridge city hall and it's going to take place from 11 a.m to 5 p.m. But let me tell you what the mission is, and the mission is expanded, and we're going to have ongoing events. We're going to have a very big one, a global Pacifica broadcast at a future date to be announced. But this Sunday, coming Sunday, not this one, but a week from this Sunday, Sunday, September 19th, um, we will be gathering in Foley Square to connect the dots. We're going to have a day of engagement and we're inviting all activists, whether you're involved in issues around uh, whistleblowers, truth-tellers, political prisoners, um, Julian Assange, Daniel Hale, Leonard Peltier, Mumir Abu-Jamal, whether you're concerned about COVID or climate chaos, Afghanistan, Yemen, Palestine to the Philippines, housing to policing, these are all issues deeply interconnected. Listen, folks, Mother Earth is occupied by the United States of Amazon. And only by rising together can we solve any one of these issues. So um, risingtogether.info. And uh, John has been so gracious to help us. And we're hoping Regan will be in town and others. We're going to start at 11. This is going to be very informal. It's not going to be the minute-to-minute, highly scheduled, global Pacific broadcast that we will have in the future. But from 11 to noon, we're going to start with a land acknowledgement. We're going to recognize the African burial ground across the street. We're going to have a sacred hour. We're going to be joined by um, clergy. Christian, Catholic, uh, Muslim, Jewish, uh, Buddhist, and so forth. At noon, noon to four, we're going to have an intermix of very short speeches of poetry, of music, of dance. We're not going to have the film and video with plans. We're going to save that for the global broadcast. And then from four to five, we're going to have a intergenerational World Liberation Music Dance Party. So hope everybody will come from 11 to 5. 11 to noon for that sacred hour, and the intermix from noon to 4 will start with a young woman named Claire Willen from the Poor People's Campaign leading us in a very big chorus of which side are you on? And then we're going to hear from all kinds of folks. But this is a day of engagement. We're calling upon activists to come together, learn more about each other's most urgent issues, share in that, and not come to hear the speakers, 
to hear the performers, but to be the speaker, to be the performer. So come into contingent if you're a part of any kind of human rights, anti-war, social justice, environmental organization. Bring your banners, your literature, your merchandise, bring your own chairs, um, there, uh, bring your own food to share. There will be um, vendors there, halal, vegan, and other um, cuisine available, water, and we will have a disability um, toilet. But um, John, do you want to speak a little bit to, to this? Because you, you've offered some very, very helpful advice to us in terms of, you know, we're going to start with this land acknowledgement. And as I understand, you know, you talk about it as a ceremony where the words we say before all else is how we begin. And, and, and people joining in, join the refrain, now our minds are one. So perhaps you should talk uh, a bit about this, John. Well, yeah, when you when you you folks uh, first approached me and you asked me the best way to contribute, especially as we um, we're we're kind of shaping this thing around a a, mo, uh, an, uh, a period of time of celebration and ceremony at the beginning of it, I suggested that um, that a normal um, opening that uh, the Haudenosaunee uses um, for meetings, social gatherings, ceremonies, e e funerals, weddings, whatever. We call it the Ohunda Gurriwadekwa. Um, uh, I think the Senecas call it the Gununyo, and I'm not sure how that translates. But Ohunda Gurriwadekwa translates to the words we say before else. And the reason we say these words is to bring us together. And we we acknowledge the, the earth. We acknowledge the people that have gathered. We acknowledge creation. We acknowledge you know so so much of what we experience um, in in terms of what we see and what we feel, and at, as we acknowledge each one of these things, we we always end that specific acknowledgement with now our minds are one. So it's it's really a a, a, a spoken. Uh, Presentation, if you will, or message to the, those who have gathered uh, to bring us to bring us together. So that's that's what I had offered up, and so that's prop, that's what I will provide in terms of the opening of this um, uh, th this event. But this has shifted a little bit because I know um, as as you guys have narrowed the focus uh, a little bit by calling it. Um, uh, rising together for a world beyond war. Uh, initially, it was more broadly social justice, and it still is going to be a lot of those conversations. But in the conversation about war, uh, and you and I talked to, about this a little bit, Zul. You know, I I, I talk about wars not just past and uh, you know and present and future, but but all of them to, together, so to speak. And and how war is not just about the battlefield. It is about military presence. It's about the military industrial complex. It's about imperialism and colonialism and you know genocide. It's it's all of those things. And you can commit genocide without um, without blood and and the United States has has mastered some of those techniques with things like residential schools you know I, I heard in a call with the uh, with Zul earlier uh, somebody mentioned uh, and this always is one of these things that, that I, I I have to address somebody mentioned cultural genocide as a as a kind of genocide and that's wrong and I'm gonna explain why if you eliminate a people if you intend to destroy a people by destroying their culture, that is genocide. It's not cultural genocide, it's genocide. It's still about creating the conditions where people will cease to exist. And I think yeah. those, all of those kinds of policies and practices are the things that we need to speak out against as we're talking about a world beyond war, because war can be fought at many different levels. Yeah, that's so right, uh, you know, John. You know, but a little bit about this. Originally, we called this event um, Rising Together, a celebration in the struggle for justice, people, and planet. And that's going to happen. We've changed the nature of the event on Sunday the 19th. We're now calling it a day of engagement, short for a day of engagement and coalition building. But that was always the intention. Actually, our mission has expanded greatly. World Beyond War, much of the audience will be familiar with, is an international organization. David Swanson is the, Swan is the founder, a wonderful woman here in New York, young woman, also a farmer and a great organizer. Greta Zara is a great help to us. Uh, someone on the board 
who lives in New York, Alice Slade, a brilliant woman, I'm sure many of you know her from many different movements. But um, so our mission has expanded, and so we're now calling ourselves New York City Rising Together for a World Beyond War because we're the newest chapter of World Beyond War. Although there are thousands, my understanding is, of members of World Beyond War in the New York City greater metro area, there is yet to be a chapter. And we agreed to do that um, in part because they were so gracious as to allow us to um, bring in organizational members as well as individual members. So one of my groups, um, Veterans for Peace in New York City, has already joined. So we increased the membership by a few hundred right there. We're expecting um, Code Pink New York City to join, we hope, this week, and many of, of the groups that will be attending on Sunday, September 19th, to join in. And those groups involve, include everybody from, you know, Black Lives Matter and Code Pink to Extension Rebellion and Best of Veterans Peace for Peace. AI. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and let me just... Well, one of the... Go ahead. On this one, if I may, some of the folks may have heard um, the PSA that's on. And... Mimi Rosenberg plans to make one. I think Johanna Fernandez. Hopefully, you and Regan will make them. But the tagline for our event is, I'm a whistleblower for justice, people, and planet. And the whistleblowers are not just, you know, Julian and Leonard and Mumir and uh, Daniel Ellsberg, but they're each and every one of us. Whether we go out and stand the Grand Central on Thursday afternoon at 5, as I'm about to do for Julian Assange, or you go out and stand up in vigil with Catholic Worker and other groups on Saturday morning, 11 to noon, in Union Square for Yemen, the people that we're solving there, um, all of you and this audience, particularly the BAI buddies, and if you're not one, please join, uh, are whistleblowers for justice people and planet and we'll have free whistles for you and we're going to have a, a whistleblower video uh, booth on sunday september 19th so do join us risingtogether.info so do, do you have uh, you have folks from wpfw involved in this as well right we do well we um reen katuda the great producer and founder of people's media center in um in dc and wbix before that and uh, Farid Beirut, and so many things. Reem is the senior producer for this upcoming um, Pacifica Global broadcast. She brought in the best executive producers we have at Pacifica, Werner Avery uh, Brown, um, Lona Elias, many others. Um, Linda Perry and Bertold at our station have been great help. Um, Katya um, down in D.C., um, and folks uh, out in uh, L.A., Berkeley, and Houston. And Ursula Rudenberg, who's the coordinator for the affiliates, I think we have 155 now, is working with us. So when we do this uh, Global Pacifica broadcast, we expect to be on all five sister stations and all 155 affiliates and maybe more independent and alternative media as well, maybe potentially millions of viewers, um, live for six hours or in a two-hour um, uh, edited program. But that's going to be about, about, uh, available around the world. And we originally hope for and we expect when we do that broadcast to have viewers and perhaps participants in a global Zoom call from uh, Tel Aviv and Gaza City and Montreal and Melbourne and wherever you're listening on the globe on WBAI.org. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great because I this this program um, airs both in New York and in Washington. So I wanted to acknowledge uh, our uh, WPFW participants in this yeah. event. And Ann so. Wilcox down in D.C. has been a great organizer with us. Um, Mizia Benjamin down there, great organizer down there. We're expecting her on Sunday. We've been telling people who have distance to travel not to come on the 19th because. Uh, you know, because of what's going on still with uh, the Delta variant and so forth, and because we really want their commitment to come when we do 
the global broadcast, but Medea Benjamin insists on coming, and Pam Africa insists on coming from the Mumia Coalition. So Nick Martin is coming down from Massachusetts. So, so we will have some of that. I had a wonderful talk with a great sister, the poet Sonia Sanchez, the other day. She will be coming for the global broadcast, but like so many people, Kathy Kelly and others involved, need to be careful still. Sure. You know, one thing I wanted to mention, because we, the, the program will start with a land acknowledgement, and and one of the things that, that I, I can't help but bring up is, you know, the, the very place that this event is going to take place at, uh, uh, this Foley Square, that's, that region of lower Manhattan, was the site of one of the bloodiest conflicts um, in the history of, uh, of European settlers and, uh, and and native people. The Lenape were massacred by the Dutch who had settled the lower part of Manhattan. And, you know, and that was, you know, 1643. And so the, the, the actual place that we will be gathering um, will be within a reasonable proximity of some of the, uh, that area that, that, the, that massacre actually occurred. You know, and when we're talking about a world beyond war, it, it look we we can't dismiss just because time has passed um, what the impacts of some of these conflicts have had, especially these wars associated with imperialism and colonialism, because it uh, it is it it has really served to eliminate not just remove but in many cases eliminate an entire. Um, groups of people entire cultures and entire peoples and and i think it's it's so important that as we not only acknowledge the land but we we have to fully acknowledge the atrocities uh, that that befell the the people who are, are from the land that's so important uh, john and i'm going to go off on a tangent uh, briefly from rising together i'm a nomad you know the real estates now call it nomad it's really flat on in a midtown north of Madison Square Park, and I'm, I'm a friend of Madison Square Park, and we have wonderful um, things happening there because we have a very rich uh, conservatory and a wonderful curator. So we have Maya Lin's Ghost Forest here now, which is about climate change. She's the sculptor who did the Vietnam Wall, and the last two decades she's been working on climate chaos, and she's got a project here. I encourage everyone to come up to Madison Square Park to the Oval to see it. But um, we still have, despite all these wonderful programs, we still have a lot of bronze statuary in this little tiny park, which extends from 23rd to 26th Street between 5th and Madison. And all the bronze statues are of, guess who? Great white men, supposedly great white men. One of them was uh, called uh, Roscoe Conklin, who was a rather corrupt uh, New York statesman, hated all around the country. As a matter of fact, um, Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle, the great silent film star, was named for him by a father who hated his son. Um, <laughs> and there's also a Chester Arthur statue there. I don't think that either of those statues need to be in this park anymore. And as a member of our Park Arts Council, I'm proposing that we find a new home, perhaps the birthplace of Roscoe Conklin, a museum, or for uh, Chester Arthur, and that we uh, put out a call to indigenous artists, Native uh, American, if that's the right term, um, for a new commission for a land acknowledgement sculpture. I don't know what form it would take, but it should be interesting to see that and I, I've already pledged uh, money to make that happen. So anyway, that's an aside. Um, let's go back to rising together, perhaps. <laughs> well, and I think, look, I, I think this idea of activism and addressing social justice and uh, inequity um, is tied to a lot of that stuff. Because, you know, look, we, we have a tendency to, to continue to promote um, false narratives. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, Columbus Day, uh, which many places are now uh, transforming to Indigenous Peoples Day, is another example of that. And and history becomes rewritten, misrepresented, and and then and just kind of engraved and embedded in not only in textbooks but in children with with this false idea of what you know what this history is and. 
oftentimes, if you're going to talk about somebody that you're promoting um, who is a tyrant, there are victims of that tyrant. And, you know, and certainly Native people um, certainly were, were victims of some of the, the heinous actions of, uh, of Christopher Columbus and many other people who, like you said, get, they get promoted as these as these white heroes. And and you, it, look, everybody um, deserves to have the truth told. And some of that truth may not always be pleasant, and and that's that's part of the uh, you know as uh, as Al Gore once said the uncomfortable truth, right? Uh, and I think that's some of what we uh, what I think that's some of what this mission has to be about. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I had a discussion with the the great late Howard Zinn uh, some time ago, and we're talking about um, history as as being parallel, uh, verticals, up and down. Um, the down is that there are always kings and queens, dictators, popes, tyrants, presidents of all sorts who are pushing back. They want to maintain the wealth and power that they have. But the other is upward. We're rising together. Always. People will not allow their children to go hungry. They must have some shelter. People want very basic things, and we can rise together. You know, John, I I heard of a study recently um, that was released um, in connection with uh, the 20th uh, anniversary of 9-11. It had studied uh, 20 years ago. This study showed that children, people of all ages actually, who knew a lot about their um, family history, um, when their parents met, where they went to school, where their grandparents were from, great-great-grandparents, the more they knew about their history, the more resilient they had. Because, you know, if you read the Bible, whatever you read, you see, you know, in the generational narrative, there are ups and downs. In, in my personal family narrative, you know, like yours, John, you know, we had a whole generation that, uh, that went to, you know, were killed by, you know, by genocide. So, look, that's real. That's, you know, that's a real down. But then, you know, my parents' generation, who were um, second-generation uh, American for the most part, um, you know, they're very successful. I have tremendous opportunities in life. But if you understand that life in our own lifespan is up and down, and our family history's lifespan is up and down, then we have greater resiliency. And then I think we also have the ability to devote ourselves to others. And we have, you know, instead of looking at the people in the Rolls Royces, you know, and on the billboards, we're going to finally stop and look at the the men and women and children, you know, lying in our streets and find out who they are and see how can we be of help. Sure. No, and, and, and you know, the thing also about this, this uh, again, this up and down narrative, we also find that even within individuals, it's not just about, you know, good men and bad men, good women and bad women. There, we see the character flaws even in the people who have been heroized for various reasons. And we can find, um, you know, we can find the good, the bad, and the ugly in, uh, in every one of us. Um, and... You know, I've heard people say that you shouldn't judge somebody by the worst deed they've ever done, but I think you have to provide balance. And I and I think without acknowledging some of the 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 bad things that people have done and the bad things that people have experienced, if you only say the good, then you don't understand what those obstacles were to to achieve goodness or even greatness and, and so I, I but but I, I i appreciate what what uh, what howard suggested to you yeah oh another great howard story um he gave a speech once when we first did a camp democracy which was in dc which is how i met david swanson that followed the camp casey's that cindy sheehan had had helped uh, you know initiate first at bush's ranch and that many people, you know, organized around the country. And we had one here in Union Square. So I'm down at Camp Democracy with David and Howard, and, and just kind of being the wise-ass that I am. Can I say that on the air? Um, yeah, yeah, I sure. Said, I said, <laughs> Howard, I said, Howard, what, what's the purpose of studying history? And there was barely a pause, Sean. He said, Zul, it's so, what we know, so we know what to do at the barricade. So... <laughs> So, so, so here we are, you know, I'm about to turn 66, you know, a legitimate, you know, truly authorized gray geezer. What do we got to lose? If we do not stand for justice, people, and planet now, 
what what's the meaning of our lives? Well, and and look, we're at a place now where you know, as we talk about planet and we talk about climate change and we talk about environmental justice, you know, part of this this effort going forward uh, is unfortunately going to be more geared towards preparing for the inevitabilities of climate change not and and, and look by all means we should do what we can to to mitigate climate change but the reality is we need to prepare those who are most vulnerable and and that's where this whole idea of uh, you know environmental racism comes in because invariably you're going to find people of color um, people of poverty who are going to be most adversely affected by um, the, the by the disasters that will come with, with climate change. So I think this is you know, there's such a broad conversation when we talk about uh, justice and we talk about uh, equity. And uh, you know this is we have a very long way to go. And and you're right. You know I'm uh, I'm in my 60s now, so the the whole I, I realize that. You know, I've got I've got nine grandchildren and and I start to question, you know, have I given enough of my life to um, to secure their lives? And uh, and so I feel I feel a bit of a push to do more. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, John, you know, the weekend of of uh, Friday, September 17th through um, Sunday, the 19th, um, the 10th anniversary of Occupy that Friday evening. Extinction Rebellion New York City is planning its largest civil disobedience action that same Friday. Um, we're going to be together in Foley Square 11 to 5 on Sunday afternoon the 19th, rising together the justice people on planet. But this coming weekend, the uh, 20th anniversary of 9-11. So what's that about? So, of course, you know, the, there's, there's all the memories of that. And I was here, and I went down there. But I remember going a couple of days after that to Reverend Daughtry's church, House of the Lord, in, in Brooklyn. And I was sitting with uh, two other white people. I think we were the only three white people in the church. And I knew, I knew uh, uh, Reverend Daughtry for a long time. So he, I think he turned to me pointedly, you know, looking at the white people in the audience, and he said, you know, welcome to our world. You know, the chickens <laughs> have come home to roost. So for, you know, white people all over the uh, corporate media, you know, there's, you know, oh, there's before 9-11, you know, and there's after 9-11, war on terrorism, which only means terror on war. I mean, what the does that mean? <laughs> so, um, but for indigenous people, for black people, for brown people, for female people, young people, elderly people, people from the globalist south, you know, 9-11, when, when did it begin and when is it going to end? Well, 9-11 specifically is, 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 you know, just another bump in that road that we, mm-hmm. I mean, George Washington himself once in his orders to uh, to General Sullivan suggested, let the, uh, referring to the Seneca specifically saying, let them know the terror of their chastisement. I mean, this is a president, the first president of the United States, you know, calling for terror to be inflicted upon the native people. And with the intent to cause what he was referring to was intergenerational trauma. So they would know never to uh, you know, to resist the uh, you know the expansion of the United States. I mean, so terrorism. Uh, you know, some of us have been fighting a war on terror since 1492. Let's just put it that way. Exactly. And look, you know, I don't think there's such a thing as an America anymore. I think we live in the United States of Amazon. You know, which America? What America? Who's America? So that's a whole long discussion. But. Um, America, if we can call it that, the United States in its 200-whatever years, you know, our greatest export are Indian wars. You know, we've never finished fighting the one here, but, I mean, somehow we found ourselves all throughout um, the Caribbean, Haiti in particular, you know, that, that have the goal to actually, you know, defeat Napoleon and form a democracy for all people, you know, all throughout uh, Latin America, South America, the global South, you know, India, Afghanistan, uh, Yemen, um, Iraq. When when have we not exported an Indian war? And here, you know, this great new president of ours who we had to get behind, Joe Biden, never saw a defense contract that he didn't like. He's getting all the <laughs> troops out. But 
But what's he going to do now? He says, well, we're going to have over-the-horizon capacity. So what does that mean? Over-the-horizon capacity? That's about drones, folks. And drones are everywhere around us. They're going to be the greatest horror we could possibly imagine. The NYPD has two brand new ones. They brought them out during the uh, Gaza protest uh, two months ago already now, John. Mm-hmm. And um, listen, these are killer robots, these drones. Right now, they're flown from 1,000 miles away, uh, 10,000 miles away. They're totally autonomous where they come out of, um, you know, uh, Germany or somewhere in Africa or Arizona. Who the hell knows? But when, when the AI, the artificial intelligence, um, locks onto a target, and Daniel Hale showed, you know, that nine out of ten times in a five-month period in Yemen, the target was wrong, always wrong. These are innocent children, women, and men, not the intended target, all of whom were signed off on for targeted assassination by a couple of people in the White House, a couple of people in the military, JSOC, and God knows maybe the gang of eight in the Congress. But well, and let's not let's not forget that a lot of this drone uh, um, usage expanded during Obama. So it, it isn't right. you know, everybody likes to try try to make this a right versus left uh, right. debate. Exactly. And 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 as you said about Joe Biden never have, having met a defense contractor he didn't like. We we also see the militarization of police in general beyond the yeah. drones. I mean, when you think yeah. about I mean. To me, it was bizarre, even before I ceased my trips down to New York, to to walk through Penn Station and see Amtrak police in camel fatigues. And it's like, why are you wearing camel fatigues? Do you think you're blending in somehow? (laughs) I mean, it was like jungle, jungle camo. And they're they're, there with their AR-15s, their automatic weapons and, and, you know, looking for all the world like like U.S. soldiers. And of course, we see this in police forces from Amtrak police to, you know, to to sheriff's department. I mean, uh, uh, Regan just experienced some of the conflict up there at line three in in uh, in Minnesota. We saw you know what what the people at standing rock faced off against we we see right. what what those who are fighting not for themselves but for the planet for water for air what they yeah. experience in terms of this expansion of military because it isn't just military it's it's police departments it's sheriff's right. departments it's 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 private contractors that are all over the world wreaking okay. havoc on on those because they they're just guns for hire yes and john you know, a lot of this CAI audience will remember when the NYPD, you know, un, uh, unveiled their first tank in Tompkins Square Park, what they called the Tompkins Square Park riot, which they caused. They were the ones who rioted, but I was there. But, you know, since then, you know, more and more and more military equipment. That's why the defense contract is so popular, because the military gets to turn over their equipment every few months and hand it off to, you know, municipal police departments all over the country. What do these people in the Bronx, these cops and these cops in Peoria, where, what do they need M16 for? You know, what, what are we doing with drones? This is, this Our is armored personnel care. carriers. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's insane. I was up in yeah. Daytona Park when we were squatting some buildings there, all South American people. They rolled up one of their, um, you know, their wagons, and they opened the doors just to let us see what we were up against. And, oh, my God, I don't know if they, I, I guess they won Gatling guns anymore, but the equipment on there was terrifying. And that's what we're up against. And this is, you know, so the issues, you know, of policing, of justice, of prisons, of jails, of abolition, these are all issues that we are going to discuss together on Sunday, September 19th in Foley Square. That's what we're asking all the activists to do from all of the different issues and causes in New York City and around the world to do on the 19th. It's a day of engagement. It's a day for us to understand that, you know, all of these issues are urgent. You know, in Union Square, we've got the climate clock. So it's, uh, I think we got six years, 120 days, maybe 118 days, counting down to deal with climate. Maybe we don't even have that long. But for the children, you know, 
starving in Yemen today, for the people fleeing Afghanistan today, for the black and brown kids rotting, literally rotting in jails and prisons, they don't have until the morning. We've got to be out there. We've got to be in the streets. When you talk about a day of engagement, you know, we uh, there's been a, an overuse of the of the term ally. And and as Native people and and frankly, we, we saw this with Black Lives Matter and so many of these other other movements. We don't need allies. We need accomplices. We need people who are willing to not just, you know, say they support us. We need people to, to come out and take make their stand on these issues. So, yeah, when we're talking about a day of engagement, we aren't just looking for people to come out and spectate. We are looking for people to come out and become motivated enough to take action and and look there, there's there's a full spectrum of the kinds of actions that people can take on any number of, uh, of issues and and that's part of the conversation that we hope to have it's so important you know the language that you use that indigenous people use there's so much wisdom in it there's so much for all of us to learn when we talk about mother earth when we talk about father sky when we talk about Grandma Moon, what is that about? The lunar calendar. Why is it, you know, that so many indigenous culture are based on matriarchal lineage? Because it's the woman through who our generations pass. It's the woman who gives birth. It's the woman to which the chiefs and the medicine man and the warriors much turn. And the women should have the right, do have the right, to send us packing. So we need to talk about all of these things all this language and you talk about you know not allies but you know just true brothers and sisters cousins you know parents uncles and aunties who are parents to everyone you know brothers and sisters of another mother and another father i mean now we are one now our minds are one what 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 else does it mean john well, and I think the, the whole thing that when we do that ohundugiri with equa, and when we make those uh, those metaphoric analogies to our grandmother and to our mother and to you know our grandfathers and, and our eldest brothers and all, it's it's about understanding our relationship and our connectivity to it all. And you know it, you know there's there are some that would try to try to make you know some of our metaphors into a Disney cartoon, <laughs> and it's not. You know what we are really trying to explain to people is that we are connected we are related and you can't deny or you know you can't reject that relationship because that's why we're having you know these climate issues today i mean because there has been a complete dismissal of uh, of any responsibility to to the to the very ground that we walk on and i hate to interrupt uh this engaging conversation but i just wanted to share that regan is in the building Regan, it is so great to have you join us. I, I hope uh, we didn't run over too much of what you would have liked to contribute, but by all means, uh, please do weigh in. Wonderful. No, I was just catching the tail end of the conversation. And it's definitely something, uh, part of that narrative that I really want to push back against and challenge is how binary those um, those gender representations are. You know, so often we talk about, um, you know, grandmother moon, grandfather stone, and father this and mother that, and sister this and brother that. And the reality is that um, those conversations participate in the continued um, adoption of colonial binary gender norms within our communities, because the reality is that gender gradients is mirrored in the land and waters, and that there are more than those genders and that we as indigenous people represent a wide a, a, a spectrum of gender expression. And so I definitely I I def, I you know catching the tail end of this conversation I think was important cuz you know as a trans indigenous person um, who doesn't identify as a man or as a woman and doesn't identify by either of those binary conversations it's imperative that we talk about how that is in our teachings not just our traditional teachings, but also our contemporary teachings, that we are negotiating and renegotiating uh, distinct and, uh, and varying genders within our communities as we learn, adapt, and adopt. And I think that's like an uh, important conversation um, that needs to be really unpacked further, uh, especially in terms of 
uh, how we relate to the to the earth around us because it's not just uh, the binary and in fact it's we do an injustice to to the to the world around us to assume that there would be such a binary well, and, and to your and to your point, there, it very very often we we use the expression our relations, which is non-binary, and and uh, and that should be probably a stronger emphasis. So I I, I take your um, your your comments um, to heart. We should uh, we we talk about our distant relatives and our and our close relatives and our and our cousins, and 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 we do that to to demonstrate the relationship. Uh, not just the, trying to humanize every everything, but but as a human being, talk about those relationships. And you're right; those relationships are are not, um, you know, um, they are not as binary as uh, as they have been always uh, perpetuated. And and I'm as guilty of that as anyone. So wonderful to meet you, and you make such an important point right away. Thank you so much. Of course, you know that's why I'm here. Um, I I apologize for coming in late to the show as. Uh, as John is aware, and as other as our, some of our listeners may be aware, I'm in Minnesota right now, um, uh, in solidarity with Anishinaabe and Dakota relatives fighting against the pipeline Line Three that is going through treaty territory and damaging the, um, you know, really damaging the indigenous communities that this pipeline goes through. But the reason I bring this up is because we've been having these conversations, um, even in this space here, uh, fighting against this pipeline about how gendered conversations have really infiltrated the way that we identify within community. And it's something that is imperative that we push back against uh, in, in order for us not just to be more inclusive, but to really um, to really decolonize because our our understandings of gender have been so masked by colonial ideologies of gender. And it's uh, it's it definitely takes unpacking and unlearning and relearning but it's a, it's righteous work to be uh, reintegrating all of our all of our different gendered kin into community. Also, if you if you go to to the language to our language, you're going to find that there isn't. I mean, when we we, we use words that get translated uh, to things like mother and father and and uncle and uh, and uh, and auntie or whatever else, they don't actually translate to that. And so it's it's interesting that you know that. Um, the the language itself has been uh, had such a colonizing effect on on how we uh, on how we communicate these very issues. So so I, I really do appreciate your your contribution to the conversation here. And and it's so important for me to hear this from you, Reagan, and from you, John. You know, we really have to decolonialize our own mind. You know, like Bob Molly said, you know, liberate yourself from mental slavery this is so important when i was a little boy you know the only transgender person we ever heard of was was the tennis player and it turns out my best friend you know david you know 20 years later you know after two marriages and six children became jane so even i'm close to it you know i still have to struggle with this this gender issue and that's all part of i think a greater alienation that we have from nature itself. We don't recognize ourselves as a part of nature. We're nothing but cosmic dust. So Regan, it's such a pleasure. And John, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, Regan, what, uh, are, when do you plan to be back to New York? Well, um, not sure, John. Uh, I, I'll be honest, I picked up a couple more charges while I've been out here. Um, so I have some court dates coming up. Um, I'm actually outside of the Pennington County Jail right now. Um, I was released uh, earlier, and I'm here waiting um, with some friends who were uh, who were also arrested with me um, a couple days ago. Uh, we had an action in front of uh, one of the Enbridge terminals in Minnesota. Uh, I was locked down to a boat that said justice for MMIWG2ST, which is something we've talked about extensively on this show is the the, the interconnectedness between resource extraction and sexual violence within indigenous communities. So uh, I don't know when I'll be back in New York because I'm still out here trying to kill this pipeline. Well, I know you're, you're doing um, work for all of us. And, um, you know, there, there isn't a whole lot of uh, praise that comes with it oftentimes. But I want you to know how, how much I appreciate your 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 sacrifice and and what you what you're doing for all of us there. 
Regal. Yeah, you know, it's truly an honor um, to be in Salt I don't know if you guys can hear cheering. Our friends are coming out of the jail right now. It's really quite a beautiful celebration of radical joy, which is honestly why these kinds of movements are so sustainable uh, and so, so important. You know, we, we do this really intense work that is incredibly traumatic on our bodies and our spirits to be arrested, uh, you know, over and over again, fighting for the lands and waters. Uh, and there are these moments of radical joy when we are being released and able to hold each other once more. And it, it really does. Um, it makes it all worth it. And I know that this is a righteous fight um, for everyone, you know, not just for indigenous communities, uh, not just for Anishinaabe and Dakota communities specifically, but for all of our future generations so that people have access to clean water, people have access to wild rice, people have access to 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 a future, uh, a future. So, yeah, this is not work that is praised. Uh, you know, I am criminalized in the eyes of the state. I have many charges. A number of us have many charges. And, you know, that's very scary to think that um, that the state could take us at any time. But this is this is part. This is what you this is what we have to do in order to stop a pipeline. You know, the administration isn't going to do anything about it. Uh, nonprofits aren't going to do anything about it. It's it's the community. It's community. It's people like um, like the wonderful people at the GNU Collective um, who have embraced uh, embraced me and others into their work and have been working tirelessly and endlessly to kill this pipeline. Well, they they, they certainly have gotten a a, a great um, uh, accomplice, I guess, in you. So, Regan, I want to thank you so much. Um, I know we're running real uh, close to the end here. Zul, what's on your mind? Well, I just want to say to Regan, first of all, that on this end, you're highly honored and <laughs> as an accomplice in this kind of work. I'm Reem Kathuda, who's helping to produce uh, Rising Together, a day of engagement on Sunday, September 19th, and I had, uh, in, uh, intend to invite you to, to MC the event along with Johanna Fernandez and Mimi Rosenberg. But we oh, understand wow. The, but we understand, you know, the nature of your work, and if you can't be back by Sunday, September 19th, we'll understand that. But we're going to be after you because there's going to be a global Pacifica broadcast, which we expect will reach millions at a date to be announced, where we're going to continue to connect the dots and build coalition, and we'll very much want you to be an MC um, for that event. So uh, that sounds we'll so exciting. Oh uh, well, we'll see you when we see you, and um, nothing but love and and joy in this uh, ongoing struggle for justice, people, and planet. I appreciate y'all so much, and I look forward to being back in the studio with y'all one day. <laughs> <laughs> likewise, likewise. All right. Well, I want to thank both of you for uh, again for uh, making the time. I know Regan, your your time is uh, is really. Um, I know, I know that you are stressed with uh, with all the things that, you, that you're doing, and I'm so grateful that you managed to carve out uh, you know time from from your activities there to uh, to join us. And, and Zul, I want to thank you for for joining me for the program. Look forward to uh, to what's coming up here in a couple of Sundays. And uh, look, folks, um, I, I've got to tell the listening audience: make sure that you support WBAI and WPFW. It is um, it is in, it very important to provide this space for our uh, for these voices and for these actions. I want to thank you for listening. Yahweh.